any questions that people would have coming out of what they'd said to kind of kick off with? If not, we've got some we can use. Cool. So I guess to start with, we we had a lot of ideas and thinking about kind of heaven and hell's concepts and where, you know, what we think about that. I think my question is outwardly processing the question. Um, my, my question is then where... So, so currently through our filter and through our kind of where we are in society, blah, 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 and, you know, we're here and all that, a, a lot of people's... Um, uh, uh, sort of thoughts on heaven and hell is that you know they're they're kind of two different places and you know basically where is our, how have we got to where our thinking is so far so then where do we have to go back to to reconstruct that I think that's my question there there certainly is biblical precedent to sort of see hell as this eternal place of torment for uh for Satan and his demons, but is is that also going to be true for those who have not accepted Christ? Let's kick off with those two, because actually one of the things that we talked about as kind of a question to kick it off with was, um, uh, I guess, exploring like what the kind of like biblical, his, like traditional views on the kind of present heaven and hell are that Tim alluded to, and then also like what are the different views on what happens when we die, what happens at the end um, that Jonathan alluded to. So, John, can you kick us off with the first of those? <laughs> yeah, what sure. does the Bible say about heaven and hell? Very briefly, in enough time that we've got stuff. For um, stuff. Um, um, it's it's really big, and I don't actually have enough time to go on what it all is. I can talk about some different views that are biblical, and then from some of the broad sweeps of. Uh, Christian tradition. So where I would start would actually be with the Jewish belief, particularly so early on, the early Jewish belief about like what happens when we die, which I talked about at the beginning of this series, actually, when I, I set some things up, which is about Sheol. So that is the pit or the dust. Um, so basically what happens when you die is you go to this place where there's sleep and forgetting. And that's, that's all that happens, really. By about the 3rd century BC, that belief had developed somewhat so that there was some kind of differentiation between people who were obedient to God in life and people who weren't. Uh, and so there's this idea that there was that you went to the bosom of Abraham. It's still in Sheol, but there's basically... It's, so maybe it's still a place of sleep, but it's somewhere where there's kind of comfort and it's nice. Uh, and then pe there were people who didn't get to go to that bit, and that it was more a place of kind of ghosts, and it was a, probably a bit frightening. Sheol would, was a place of waiting as well, and so it was tied into the, to Jewish ideas around resurrection, so that God would come back in physical time and space, that the dead, both the, the good and the bad, as it were, would be raised and they'd be judged, uh, and that then that was also tied into ideas about the... Um, the, the people of Israel basically ruling over uh, under God as their king, ruling over the whole land. So, Sheol. Sheol is often translated into the Latin, uh, not Latin, into Greek, it, um, into Hades, which is a Hellenistic idea that's actually very similar to Sheol, which is it's a place of forgetting. So, you cross the River Styx and you're in Hades, would be in, in Greek and Roman mythology. Um, it's a, a place of shadowiness. It is probably quite a scary place. And so ideas about Sheol and Hades then carried into Christian tradition, get a, they're a bit mixed up, so it's also Hellenized, uh, that belief. 
Hellenized. What do I mean by Hellenized? The, Gr the Greek uh, culture or culture originating from around the area that's modern day Greece had spread over the Mediterranean. Yeah, and that's called. Thanks, Neil. That's called. The first Hellenic. syllable of that's quite unhelpful, isn't it, yeah, for this hell. conversation? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I genuinely assumed Hellenized just meant they, it made it all a bit helly. No. So thanks for your question, Neil. That's outstanding. Well done, Neil. Um, so there, there's another. There's actually another place uh, in in Greek myth that's that's like there is a place of of eternal torment, and helpfully, it's in two. It gets named in two Peter Tartus Tar Tartarus. There we go. Um, which is a place of eternal torment for people who've been bad, so after Hades. Uh, and um, it is named in 2 Peter of, of going down into Tartarus. So that's in, so, so all these things going on. Uh, there's also, so there's a valley, um, the Hinnom Valley. So Jerusalem is basically on a spur, on a hill, between two valleys, the Kidron Valley and the Hinnom Valley, which is Gehinnom, which can be translated as Gehenna. Um, Gehenna traditionally was a place that was associated with uh, child sacrifice, particularly to the god Molech, um, and it was also a place where there was a rubbish dump and there were fires and things like that. So it, it both was a physical, real place, but it was also a place that was seen to have some kind of spiritual significance, and whether that was symbolic or whether it was real, there was a place near Jerusalem that was called Gehenna that was a bad place. And so um, quite a bit of what Jesus talks about um, uh, when he talks in more apocalyptic language, which I'll just come on to in a minute, um, he talks about Gehenna, about so Gehinnom, the Valley of Hinnom, which is this place that's associated with child sacrifice and burning and rubbish and things like that, but could also have spiritual significance to um, first century Jews. Um, heaven. Uh, there isn't really, in that, in that sense, like a Jewish con um, concept of heaven in the way that it was developed later in Christianity. So, although um, ideas about heaven, so Jesus in Matthew is translated as talking about the kingdom of heaven, where in Luke he's translated by talking about the kingdom of God. And so from that, it uh, could be seen as a place where um, God's rule and reign uh, exists. So potentially Christian beliefs could be that. Hell is a present reality, and heaven is a present reality. Hell is, is absence from God, and heaven is a place where God, God's rule and reign is spread out and manifest. Um, also, they, they could be physical places, so potentially Hades and Sheol were thought to be like physically present, maybe under the earth, and heaven was maybe thought to be present above the sky. So they, they, could, they could be both spiritual places, or they could actually also be physical places as well. The Eastern Orthodox Church are just coming to kind of present time as a, in, an interesting uh, position on, on heaven and hell, which is that because the church father, so the church fathers had such a spread of beliefs about them that, uh, that they're not actually, there's not actually a matter of doctrine, it's a matter of theological opinion about heaven and hell. So that's their actual position. Whereas the, the, the Western church, the Catholic church, and then actually later on into Protestantism, certainly by kind of the early Middle Ages, had a fairly settled view that uh, hell was a place uh, that people uh, went to after death that it was absence from God, but also that it was a place... So there, so there was particular um, 
judgment after death. So when you die, you immediately get judged and you might go to heaven or hell. And that then there was a general judgment afterwards. And, and at that point, you then might also go to hell. And ideas about purgatory, which is some which is a space where maybe you've not done things that are bad enough for you to go to hell forever, but you need to just kind of be punished for some things you might go to in the middle there. So, yeah, that's the <laughs> that's kind of so this, a spread into kind of medieval Christian thinking on the, on the um, Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. Of One is all of those ideas were at play in the Orthodox Church. It's just that because the Church Fathers don't agree, we can't take a position on, of doctrine on it. And in the Catholic Church, that actually there is... Uh, a heaven and hell, that hell is about punishment, that heaven is, is about reward. Well, what, what about resurrection as well? So resurrection obviously is this Jewish idea that we all get come back to life in, in physical reality. Heaven is not incompatible with that because if heaven is a place of, of the rule and reign of God and that there's a new heaven and a new earth later on and they kind of come together. That, that ultimately resurrection and what happens after that could, act, could be heaven coming to earth and the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about in Matthew. Maybe that's that thing. Some other ideas. Uh, annihilationism. So if, because uh, we all got kicked out of the Garden of Eden or Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden figuratively and they no longer had access to the tree of life, that actually humans aren't of themselves that immortal they, they, they don't exist forever potentially uh, and therefore they're only alive because God is with them and so if there's an ultimate withdrawal of God so potentially hell they may end therefore that's the an idea of annihilationism that either um, at particular judgment or at general judgment so either immediate, immediately after you die or at this uh, future judgment point that um, you may cease to exist because you're apart from God. And then ideas of universalism, they're not just so simple as just everybody's going to go to heaven, to some disembodied bliss. It's the idea that really, once you're faced with Jesus and God, either straight after you die or at this end point in time, there's nobody that's not going to bow the knee and follow him just because of how compelling he is and how wonderful is he, he is and he's our creator and therefore if there is a moment of decision that's beyond uh, life and that there is forgiveness for everything that we do then everybody's going to end up there all of those ideas were uh, even the ones around universal, universalism annihilationism were present in very early Christian thinking and thought which is I think why the Eastern Orthodox Church yeah, even universalism was... Why the Eastern Orthodox Church was in, in the position to not, to not take a position on it because actually there'd neither been a body of church fathers who agreed that, that you couldn't make all of their views agree and that also there was, there'd not been a council at any point uh, in, in that early period that had made a judgment on it because there were other things that none of the church fathers agreed on. It's just they would have a council about it at some later date and say this is what we believe and therefore it would become a matter of doctrine but all of that stuff even universalism although I don't think it was widely held was in play in, in the early church in early church writing uh, and teaching so it's quite an open field Neil can you talk to us a bit about um, like some of the um, historical ideas and maybe current ideas about like the end game as it were like what, what what's this all heading towards it's all heading towards. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay, so um, 
I can give you N.T. Wright's version of what happens when we die, if that would be helpful. <laughs> and you can take it or leave it. So, yeah, in, just to put it in kind of a narrative form, I'm basically repeating what John says as a story. So, N.T. Wright would say um, that you die and then you live with, Je like, you live with Jesus in kind of a, um, a temporary state. Is it like John 14 or 16 or something? It's like wayside in, isn't it? Yeah, is yeah. the word N.T. Wright uses. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, um, it's like a travel lodge that you're yeah. in, w that you're with Jesus for a bit. I don't like travel lodge because they're kind of low Premier quality in? hotel. Holiday in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you, when you die, you, you go and be with Jesus. The important thing is that you're with Jesus for a little bit. And then as John said, there's a, um, a general judgment where God looks at everything that we've done and looks at us through the eyes of Jesus. And then there's a bit in Revelation uh, where Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. And that is kind of what happens um, at the end. Like Jesus renews everything. He wipes every tear away from every eye. Um, and then, yeah, we get to live um, in a recreated uh, creation with, with Jesus. That's, that's one orthodox telling of it. But that, to me, feels like something I've heard a lot of in the last, like, 10, 15 years. But it felt like before N.T. Wright kind of, like, expanded on that, the narrative about what happened at the end was probably much more about us going somewhere else rather than about a recreation of this place. Well, like, even in the... Uh, OK. So even in the early church, there was a guy called Justin Martyr who said, um, if you think that when you die, you fly off to be in heaven... Like that is not orthodox Christian doctrine. Um, so it was acknowledged very early on that, that um, that's something different. And I would probably say, I think John talked about this in one of his talks. I think that's probably more um, Platonism. Um, so uh, Platonism is the thought of a guy called Plato who's, who basically thought that when we died, our souls separated from our body and went to... Um, place where we would perfectly contemplate God and goodness and everything would be great um, and that's quite similar to Christian thought so a lot of the early Christian writers were Platonists and basically you know stuck it in there so I think that the influence of that is still felt and so a kind of more popular version of Christianity might still have those concepts in um, I think they're, they're more Platonic than um, than uh, Jewish or Christian, I would say. Yeah. And and in that kind of that anti right retelling, where the, where there is a judgment and there is God looked at us through Jesus' eyes. What what is the belief there about what might happen to people who have chosen to opt out of this kingdom in some kind of way? So there's a, re there's a God making all things new. Is there like an ulterior side to that? There is. That's that's really the tough stuff. Um, so again, as John said, I think there are four main options. Um, if you're not with, if you don't accept the Lord, the traditional teaching, which we can all discuss and we don't have to agree on, but the traditional positions, there are four. And it would say, so yeah, you can either, um, so there's annihilationism, which is like, if you don't accept, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you will cease to exist be annihilated um, then there's 
universalism, which everybody's going to be saved anyway. Um, that's an interesting one, which I would certainly like to discuss more. Um, uh, what's the one you said, Liz? I forget. Post-mortem conversion. <laughs> so after you after you die, um, you, you you meet with Jesus and you say, oh, I was wrong and everything's fine. Or there is eternal conscious torment, which is somewhat unpopular nowadays <laughs> for, some, for some reason, which uh, means that you are conscious and that you um, are punished forever and not annihilated. And there are positions in between that there are the big four, annihilationism, um, universalism, uh, thingy... Post-mortem. Yeah, Post-mortem conversion and um, uh, torment forever. Yeah. We've, given, we've given you the light stuff, really, haven't yeah, we? Yeah. You're welcome. Um, there's, there's some more stuff that I'd like to ask, but any other kind of questions or comments just off? Sam, what kind of hand have you put up there, mate? Is that, is that a new question? That's a new question. Oh, it's a new question from Sam. Um, I d- this is maybe not after the stage, but I just wondered how important you think belief about this stuff is because so John used to talk about like the Eastern Orthodox Fathers and like, most of the time even the people I know who have quite like clear ideas around what they think about heaven or hell and even quite like stark ideas around heaven or hell I often feel like I don't think they really believe it because if they did they'd be probably living quite differently I wonder how like important you think like belief about this is what your beliefs are and, and can I link to that a question I want to ask? Like, not only how important is it, but what are the implications of um, what you believe to the way you do? Yeah. Go on, you two. Um, you go. I'll let you talk about implications, Neil. Something I'm thinking about, just to prefigure your question, then I'll come on to it. Something I've been out of this series, been thinking about, is like how important are beliefs about, so that rather than heaven and health, but just but like about resurrection what that is and what's going to happen because it's very apparent reading the new testament that certainly the things that were written a bit earlier they all expected jesus to come back like then so they thought some of us will die but actually some of us will really see him uh, and then as it gets on a little bit the, <laughs> the flavor kind of changes a little and then it's the expert he'll probably he'll come back kind of soon maybe it'll be a few generations well, we're still here. Unless we've missed something, that'd be bad. We're still here. And so just thinking about, like, what's going to happen? Should we be expecting in our lifetime to see, like, something, the, the end of time and space? Or not the necessarily the end of time and space, but to God, for God to act decisively in time and in space and in history to bring all things to a conclusion and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, fe- I would find it very difficult to believe for that just because of the last two, the last 2,000 years have happened. I'm just like, just on the probability. Well, depends what kind of distribution it is, but it's very unlikely to happen. Um, <laughs> it's a Cauchy distribution. Anyway, it, you couldn't predict based on the last 2,000 years whether it's about to happen. Um, what is it, what, and what's it important to believe about that? So, because cl- clearly it was very important, to, certainly to Paul, and I think motivated a lot of his early mission in like creating the church and just traveling all over the, um, the ancient world, just preaching the gospel and seeing churches started and you know, people following all kinds of crazy things happening. It, it was really important to him. And 
how important should it be to us? And kind of, I think the, the where I'm landing is actually there's so, it's more around the, it's about faith and trust and hope in God that all things are going to be brought to a conclusion. And there's going to be justice. I think also for me it's quite strongly important that God is acting in history as well. And so it's not just some disembodied platonic ideal that when we die there'll be some kind of resurrection that's all magical. But that but there is something about like this place that we're in, yeah, that's it's going to change. So, that <laughs> so reading across from that to heaven and hell, like what I think it what becomes important for me is what kind of God I believe in and then reading. The church fathers didn't agree. A significant part of the global church has it as their official doctrine that there's, you know, people can only give their opinions on it. <laughs> they can't speak the truth about it. Um, how important is it that we know exactly what's going to happen? But I, don't, I, ju- I just don't, personally don't think it, it's that important. And actually the more important thing is what I th- who I think God is and what he's doing, that does have implications for things like judgment and acting in, in our life now and things like that. But yeah, And that kind of leads on to what are the implications for what we've... For like, what, like, what so, like, so what? Heaven and hell, yeah, so what, though? Great segue, John. Uh, how, do you f- how do you feel about that answer, Sam? I don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Part of it for me was probably coming from the fact that when I was very young, I grew up with conscious eternal torment. Very clearly, and I just basically believed, when I remembered that I believed it, that all my friends were going to go to hell unless I told them. But then I was just like, but it's going to be a bit embarrassing telling them about that, isn't it? So I just didn't. But it was obviously, it just feels like mad. But I, I actually feel like, for me, it was probably somewhat like, has had a psychological imprint and sort of like impact on my on my life and just and like because a huge amount of fear and even around fear around like who god is i don't i don't feel like i feel like there's always a bit of cognitive dissonance between being like god is all loving but he'll also consciously you know torture you forever consciously if you don't believe i for me that feels like actually like quite damaging so i'm i feel not only do i not accept it but almost like quite opposed to that idea and i just wonder like if you know i I suppose that's a personal experience as well but yeah I take the point of, in terms of like, it's not just whether you're saved or not, but for this life, how how important is what you believe as well? You know, like, yeah. Well, can I suggest because your your idea was it's not really about what um, what you believe in the afterlife as much as what God you believe in, and I think what Sam was saying is it almost seems like your belief in the afterlife informs your view of God. So in that case, it would be important. That's a suggestion. I think that's probably a better articulation of what of where I would be. I think they're, they're, but they're, they're in conversation, aren't they? I think they're in. They need to be in conversation. So it's not just we go read from one to the other, but actually, it's part of the whole thing. Tim's got a point. He could have had a point when I was stood at the back. <laughs> yeah, I was saying in our group that if if you make heaven and like is the problem that we've made heaven and hell like a destination rather than just um kind of the what was the word i used like like the fallout of kind of like not even a consequence but it it's just you know what we've had to wrap our heads around and grab some thinking from somewhere because it's actually 
almost outside kind of our thinking and and we've put so much emphasis and made it so important about heaven and hell that they've become things rather than actually oh that was it yeah they've become the destinations rather than if you focus on relationship you know and that kind of goes sort of sounds point you know if i focus on relationship with jesus and sort of with god you know then actually the heaven and the hell bit become kind of part of it rather than focus on the heaven and the hell that then informs the relationship so there are two responses there's the cold hard rationalist response and then there's the pastoral response uh, the first response which i prefer um <laughs> if no i don't prefer it. that's that's a joke um the the facts of the matter in this case obviously make it an extremely important thing um if there are human beings that will be eternally tormented for the rest of time, then <coughs> that makes it an important question. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's, I mean, that's just a fact, isn't it? Um, more pastorally, I think uh, Sam's response is probably the better one. Because, um, yeah, it can, you don't want to have a set of beliefs that causes you to be, like, fearful and kind of upset all the time. I don't know. Like, I had a friend whose who's mum was a very devout person, and she would go to church, and she I think she would hear stuff about, like, you know, people going to hell, and then she would come home, and she would berate her son and be like, you know, you've, you've got to turn your life around and stuff, because I guess she was afraid he was going to go to hell. Um, and that just, it doesn't sit right with me, do you know what I mean? Like, if I'm trying to live the Christian life, that doesn't seem like a step forward, it seems like a step back. Um, yeah, so I think it is, it's really important what you believe, isn't it? Like, if you think, yeah, what Sam said, yeah, it's really important what you believe. Um, yeah, I think that's all I've got on that. Do you, do you think it's possible to give people who, because I, I feel like a lot of, like, bat, like, a lot of, like, caricatures of Christians in the media or from people who are, or from Christians who aren't like those are about the kind of Christians who tell people they're going to hell. Yeah. And do you feel like I, I've, I've been sitting here thinking actually maybe that's quite unfair. I'm reminded of there's this, um, there's this bit of stand up um, where this comedian is um, American comedian is talking about um, abortion. And he basically says that like, um, if, if you believe that like abortion is bad and that people are, are killing like babies you should absolutely like tear down abortion clinics and protest at all times because it's the worst thing that a human being can do and so i totally get why these people are doing it and i was reminded of that when i was sitting listening there because it's like um if you genuinely believe in some kind of a turtle conscious torment then actually like you absolutely should be on the streets telling people they're going to hell because it's the worst thing that can happen so like how do we manage like our relationships with people who maybe believe that kind of stuff in a way that isn't like patronizing or dismissive because clearly that's that's not coming from a place of just wanting to be like the loony guy on the street but it's coming from a place of like genuine love and compassion for the people that are walking past which <laughs> it's a new point on an existing question um to kind of go on from your point there i i think where i've got to in my walk and my kind of heart for evangelism, people knowing Jesus, is there's there's two types of evangelism. There's selfish and there's selfless. I know when I first started out as a black and white Christian, 
as in I saw everything black and white, heaven and hell, was brought up in a very Pentecostal, um, fire and brimstone sort of church. And I remember coming back from uh, when I did my theology degree and we were contemplating heaven and hell and started to, to toy with some ideas about maybe hell isn't just this weeping and gnashing of teeth, hell is an absence of God. So it was a, uh, we were at men's breakfast and my senior pastor was there and I wasn't even talking to him, I was talking to someone else and said, oh, we had this idea that hell isn't this and it's, it's potentially this. And he went, rubbish. He said, oh, you're, you're, the, the, devil, the, the devil's deceiving you. It definitely is heaven and hell. And if you don't save your family, they're going to hell and all this kind of stuff. Because I used to struggle. When I first became a Christian, my first thought was my mum's going to hell. And that used to upset me on a regular basis. So my heart for evangelism was very selfish. And with my friends and family, if you're doing it, as, as Sam was saying, from a kind of point of view of hell, they're going to suffer if I don't do something. My, my heart for them knowing Jesus was a selfish one because I needed them to be saved because I couldn't cope with the idea of them suffering or it would let me off the hook if my family accepted Jesus because we're not in conflict all the time. Where I've got to these days is when I evangelise to my family, I, I do it about them, not about me. And so my focus is rather than you going to hell or you going to heaven or whatever, it's, there's a truth which is God is real and God is love. And that's where I start from rather than the, the mindset which is you, you go into hell and, and if, I don't, if I don't save you, then what's that mean for me? Does that mean I'm going to hell because I haven't done what I'm supposed to? Am I going to be judged for that? The, the times when I felt called to speak up, if I haven't, am I condemning people to hell? Which is not a great place to be. It's a much better place when I evangelise to people from a point of view of all I have to give you is the truth, which is there is a real God. What you do with that is your choice. I'm just here to show you that truth rather than talk to you about heaven and hell. I think this it's a slightly new question, uh, I think. Um, it's on the basis of, does the Bible talk about Christians and non-Christians being judged and sent to hell? Or is the Bible actually just talking about Christians? I'll read a passage in Matthew because I've been reading through Matthew and came up to this um, parable of the weeds, um, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God in other um, gospels is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. While everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. So the owner's servant came and said, didn't you sow good seed in your field? field being, well, the world, um, and then where did the weeds come from? Uh, do you want us to go and pull them out? And um, the owner said no, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat at the same time. So at that time, I'll collect the weeds and bundle them up to be burnt. And as Jesus explains the parable, the one who sowed this good seed is Jesus, the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Now, it's the weeds that are burnt. So who are the sons of the evil one? Is it just anyone, everyone that's going about their business? Or is it people that have misled the Christians or the kingdom of God? How, what's the, what does that mean? Because it's those sons of the evil one who will 
be thrown into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So is that anyone or specific people? Do you have an answer for that? Or an intuition? Reading it again after not having read it for a while, I looked at it with eye, new eyes in a way that made me think, well, maybe it's not just anyone. It is people who are misleading, with people within the kingdom of God who, are, who have misled the son, you know, Christians or whatever. That, that I'm wondering, that's why I'm asking this question, mm. that it's not just, as we've always been taught, that, oh, if you're not a Christian, you're in the fiery furnace. Mm. But there's something within the king, the, the church, as we would call it now, or the kingdom, wider kingdom of God, where people have misled, as we see, misled um, people within the church, mis- tried to um, corrupt the Christians, the kingdom of God, and there will be special punishment for those people who have misled um, God's people, as it were. So I'm, I'm wondering. My response again, it's just my response would be, that, yeah, what you said about there's this like special thing that Jesus says about if you mess with, with my kids, like it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Better that you have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown in the sea. It's better that you not be born than you mess with like my, my, my kids. That theme certainly is in the New Testament and that may, may be an example of it. The wider context, Jesus also often presents like the two ways thing, which has maybe been overdone in, let's just see it as it was in its first century context and forget about bad uses of it today. But yeah, I think Jesus does present the two ways thing, like you are going to um, be cast out with the weeping and the gnashing and you guys are going to come in to um, thing. Yeah. So I would say there are those two ways. Um, what you've expressed maybe is like a more specific um, instance instance of that, which talks about the oh, don't mess with the with with Jesus's elect or something. John wants to come in. Uh, I didn't talk about apocalyptic writing and uh, speech when I did my bit at the beginning, like I meant to. Sorry. Um, do people know what apocalyptic writing... Well, no, <laughs> I'm about to try and say what it is, but, like, what I'm talking about. Like, Revelation, yeah? Like, mental stuff. <laughs> it's really easy to write Revelation off, isn't it? Because it's at the end. But, unfortunately, if you want to do that, Jesus actually did quite a lot of, apo- a lot of the stuff he, would, he spoke in an apocalyptic mode. So there are some different... There are some choices you've got for, like, what, like what's happening when, you, when you've got apocalyptic writing. So one idea is that it's... It's like a sp- it's the spiritual realm. So you're just talking about a spiritual realm. So it's a way of maybe because things aren't going too well here for us as Christians in the first century, and we're getting killed and thrown to the lions. It's like a like a more of a platonic idea, like that there's some kind of heavenly battle going on, and ultimately there'll be victory there, and we'll get to go off to heaven or something like that. Another is um, that it's talking about like the physical end of space and time. And that, that G- G- certainly Jesus expected t- history to come to an end, potentially around his death, around his resurrection, what what have you. Um, N.T. Wright, coming back to N.T. Wright again, we never stop talking about him, do we? Um, uh, articulates a, a, a common current view that apocalyptic writing is about imbuing historical events 
with spiritual significance. So it's a w about a way of talking about history, things that are, have happened, are happening, and will happen, and saying that, that God is acting in these things. That, that, um, and so he would root that into that's a very Jewish way of seeing the world, that God is in, that the, the physical world is real, uh, it is one, and that God is, in, is involved in it, and he's acting through it. All to say, I think it's an apocalyptic parable, right? It's crazy things are happening. Potentially there's some prophecy about what's going to go on. I think a lot of Matthew, so, and Jesus talks particularly in Matthew in that way, um, I think that when Matthew was written was either just before, during, or just after um, the events in uh, the AD 70s, which was basically the destruction of Jerusalem, all of the, the Jewish people who still lived in, Israel, in, the, in Judea and around Jerusalem, Jerusalem were all killed. Uh, lots of people ran away uh, off to the diaspora where there were more Jewish people who lived in the diaspora anyway than uh, in Judea at the time. And I think what Matthew does is hark back to what Jesus said to the leaders of the Jewish people of his time about what would happen if they carried on doing what they were doing. And so tie it into ideas around uh, that the kingdom of heaven is about violence, that, uh, that the kingdom of heaven, you know, we're going to overthrow the Romans violently. Also things that he would say prophetically about, for instance, the chief priests uh, living on the backs of the poor, things like that. So I think it's a very... I think what Matthew is highlighting of the things that Jesus said is speaking to his own time about the things that are going to happen particularly to the leaders of the Jewish people if they carry on doing what they're doing so 40 years after Jesus' death there is the, the Romans basically just put the cosh down there's, a, there's an uprising of Jewish people and they, they kill them all they destroy the second temple uh, they knock a lot of things down in Jerusalem they don't, they don't completely destroy it they cut off any Jewish people are still there who haven't run away and who aren't dead. So I think it's a very specific thing saying, Jesus warned you about what would happen if you carried on with your violent ways. So I, I, and I think it is apocalyptic. And so I think quite a lot of the references in Matthew that we then might use to inform maybe a more medieval, it sounds, uh, <laughs> uh, what's the word, like I'm being rude about it, but like a more medieval idea of heaven and hell and things like that, I think is actually about the first cent Jesus talking prophetically into the first century, or certainly the gospel writers saying that that's what Jesus was doing. <laughs> so I think Matthew has a, has a particular uh, axe to grind there. So for instance, there's, a, there's, a there's another parable, the parable, but this is in Luke, of where Lazarus, Lazarus and the rich man, that was very, that's very foundational, particularly for the Catholic view of heaven and hell, where basically the rich man is being... Lazarus is begging outside his house, and then the rich man ends up in hell, and, and uh, Lazarus ends up in heaven in the, in the, in the Catholic sense. But, but really, the rich man ends up in torment, and Lazarus, is, which is actually like an interpretation of the non-Jewish servant of Abraham, ends up in the bosom of Abraham. And I think it's doing the same thing again. It's actually, we've taken uh, ideas that the gospel writers had, that, that things that Jesus said were about talking to that time where there would be great tumult in in Israel, basically, and have then applied it and said it's got this spiritual significance. John and Neil, just to finish, could you give us, like, 30 seconds, eight, uh, and John, I mean, can you give us 30 seconds? Um, 
on like where you would want to leave people with the kind of stuff we've been talking about, how would you want people to kind of, what would be your, the thought you'd want to leave people with? Okay, so the, the, these beliefs are important, but there is much uncertainty about them. And so I feel like when there's uncertainty, just be kind and love people uh, and you won't go far wrong.